Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, should Bucks fans be worried about the depth on both sides of the football? And how good can rookie place kicker Matt Gay be? And with the Rays doing well this season, what are the chances they make a big acquisition next year? Do the Florida Gators even have enough defensive backs to line up against Miami, much less beat them? We've got all your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, do you want to be a millionaire? Well, for 30 years, Howard and Sue Million have brought the cool comfort of air conditioning to the entire Tampa Bay area, making thousands of residents millionaires with their quality products and service. Now, Millionaire is currently offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. So give them a call at 727-862-2100 to take advantage of this great offer on a brand new quality train air conditioning unit or to schedule service or maintenance. Call 727-862-2100 today. Trust the masters of comfort, Millionaire. All right, we got some great questions coming up from our listeners, as usual. Thanks for sending those in. Before we get started on those, a little housekeeping, some news. I woke up to this Peter King's uh, Monday morning edition. He doesn't call it Monday morning quarterback. That belongs to Sports Illustrated, but whatever he calls it now with NBC Sports. And one of his lead items, man, I've been smiling about this all day, Ed Werder, uh, my good friend, somebody who uh, we've had on the podcast to do a couple – uh, shows with him, part one and two. Um, and, you know, he had been part of the purge that ESPN had uh, of a whole bunch of staff members about two years ago. And, um, you know, because he was still getting paid, he was still under contract. He really wasn't in a position or chose not to go someplace else and work full time. And he did do some stuff on Westwood One. Uh, and I was surprised about this. I talked to Ed frequently, but he did not let the cat out of the bag. And, and in fact, Peter did. But he was rehired at ESPN. I mean, this is this is incredible. It's an amazing, um, a great thing for ESPN to get Edwarder back. He's going to be working out of Dallas, where of course he lives there uh, in the Dallas area, covering the Cowboys, covering other events uh, in and surrounding the Dallas Dallas Metroplex. And he's back on the NFL, back at ESPN. And so uh, I, you know, John Skipper, uh, the the former. Uh, I guess chairman there at ESPN, of course, uh, was was the one who led them when they had this this purging of talent, and uh, and now that he's gone, um, I guess whoever uh, took over after that decided they would like to get some some Ed Werder back. So at 59 years old, um, you know Ed, who is one of the very best in the business, has been for for years and years, is back at ESPN. It's just a it's just a great great thing for him. I think we should take and credit for, for it. It was they heard his. Uh two-part podcast with us over the 4th of July and hey I wish I hope that if that had even a 1% or have one half a 1% influence on them it was well worth it because like I said I don't know uh, very many uh, you know reporters as good as Ed is at at his job and it just goes to show you too uh, Steve for for those of of us uh, that are probably um, listening that might be younger than myself or Ed um, it goes to show that you never want to burn a bridge in life. You know what I'm saying? Like things happen. You, um, you know, you, you might be let go. You might, you might be working for a company that, uh, terminates you or your contract for, for whatever reason, for business reasons, what have you. And if you, if you're professional about it and you recognize that, uh, you know, however hurtful it might be at the time that these, these things can and do happen and you, you maintain good relationships and, you know, you take the high road. Um, geez, look what happened. You know what I mean? He, he's back uh, with an organization that had uh, essentially terminated him, even though he was under contract and they were paying him. So he got two years off to spend with his, his grand grandson and uh, play a lot of golf and do a little work with Westwood One, covering the NFL. Uh, never really got out of it, still followed it very closely, and uh, and here he is back at ESPN. So I think that's that's terrific. 
All right, some other news. Of course, the Rays are in San Diego. They have not begun uh, play just yet as we begin to record this podcast on this uh, mailbag edition. But um, they did release their schedule, which uh, this seems like this happens earlier and earlier every year, Steve, is that you know the schedule for the, for the, the following season comes out, of course, before the current season is over. And um, so Major League Baseball released, released their schedules. And kind of a rare opener uh, in an interleague series uh, against the Pittsburgh Pirates. They will host them at Tropicana Field. Could be seeing Chris Archer against Blake Snell potentially for that's a great one opening day. Yeah, that would be a hell of a matchup. And then uh, I do uh, I did notice where they go to Chicago, where of course my wife is from from, and they play the Cubs uh, around the uh, July Fourth weekend. So mm, which usually fans, the NFL's on uh, hiatus at that time, so it's probably perfect timing for you. Well, I'm thinking somewhere between my trip to Hawaii and on to Montana, maybe we'll stop in Chicago and see the Rays play the Cubs. I hope Joe Madden is still the manager of the Cubs. It doesn't, you know, I think you said that you saw where he had said he thinks he'll be back next year. The fact of the matter is we're only, what, a month, month and a half away from the end of the regular season, and Joe Madden does not have a contract for next year. I think that's really all you need to know. Unless they're in negotiations that we're unaware of and it just hasn't gotten done, you know, yet. Um, but I, I sense that if you look, if you haven't done it now, right, wh- why wouldn't that help your ball club for them to know that, that Joe is back, you know, and that, uh, well, I mean, you, but you, the you, other part is what if he wins the world series? Can Theo Epstein afford not to bring him back? Well, I don't know if he wins the world series, if I'm Joe Madden, I'm saying, Hey, you know what? I won two world series. I'm going to go get as much money as I want in life from some other team. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, he's a Hall of Fame manager at that point, and he wouldn't need the Chicago Cubs as much as they would need him. So, you know, like I said, when when the season began, even though this was the scenario, and, and look, Joe Joe thinks he can manage. He's, what, six, what is he, 64 years young or 65 years young, or he'll be 65, I believe. Um, he thinks he can manage till he's 70. He's a youthful guy, obviously. Yeah, he's 65 and, now. Yeah, so so five more years he, he'd like to manage. Um, but, you know, when it began, his whole philosophy was, hey, okay, fine. You know, I don't have a contract for next year. That makes me a free agent. That, that, that puts me in a great position because we're going to win games. And I'll, you know, if, if it's the Cubs, it's the Cubs. If not, you know, I'll have lots of opportunity. And I think he will. And, you know, right now they're barely leading the division, I think, and they've got – you know, a tough division on top of that with Milwaukee and the Cardinals. They've all kind of taken turns uh, there. And the but, Reds have come know, back up. I mean, that's a that's a 14 yeah, race now. It is again. And so it's going to come down to the wire. And I don't know if the Cubs, you know, win the division or much less get into the postseason. All I know is that, you know, every year he's been there, he's won around 95 games and, you know, did make the playoffs and, and then broke, you know, a 107-year World Series drought. So – to me, I, you know, it's the old story. Like, I, I don't know how much more Cub fans really want from their manager or the kind of production they may want, but they've gotten a lot of good production of late. And that ball club has holes, and it's not Joe Madden picking the players, you know, so it's Theo Epstein. And I think you look at their, their starting pitching now, starting to waver. Their bullpen hasn't been good pretty much all year. You know, there, there's a lot of things that that baseball team needed that they didn't get in the off season or even at the trade deadline. I know they got Craig Kimbrell, but, um, you know, he is, uh, he's injured now. So, uh, even he isn't closing at the moment, but we'll see what happens. But it's interesting that, uh, that the raise raise at Wrigley, I think that would be a great trip for people coming up from Tampa, going to uh, Wrigley field around July 4th. Yeah. And July 4th is a Saturday. So you'll probably get the third off from work, which is the series oh, is the, awesome. the third through the fifth. So it's perfect. Yeah. If you want to travel up there. It's a, it's gonna, and it's fan. Usually, it's a little warm, but it was fantastic weather. Uh, I was up there over the fourth weekend uh, this past year, and uh, boy, the weather could not have been greater. Now, the next week, it got up to, you know, heat index of about ninety nine, so it can fluctuate like that. But that'll that'll be a good trip for the Rays for sure. I'll tell you, it can't be any right. hotter than it was this morning uh, taking the kids to oh. school for day one. Oh, brutal, man! That I mean, humidity talk about was awful humid. at seven o'clock. Yeah, I mean, it, and I don't think that the I don't think it got below 79 degrees at any point overnight like it was just hot hot and hotter we went out for our walk after the kids first day of school by the way was yesterday and um kids for were hillsborough excited. county i think pinola starts wednesday well i don't you know look i live in hillsborough i don't care what happens to the other people really i don't it's just wow it's all about 
<laughs> kidding. Um, but it was our first day. And so uh, and, and so we took the kids to the bus stop, and there's about 400 of them now at this one bus stop right down the street. And they, they all left. And, and I was, you're right, I was sitting there, I was going, man, is it muggy. It's just like you can't breathe. Um, and then we went out for a walk, and we couldn't breathe. And then I noticed the, the, the clouds, kind of the sky was getting heavier and more humid and heavier and sinking. And before long, it started raining on us. So um, it, it was kind of like that off and on all day. But, yeah, it's uh, just just nasty, nasty weather out there. And as a matter of fact, this morning, the Miami Dolphins have a uh, dual practice scheduled with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 10 a.m. And I have a suspicion that they might get a little rain themselves. And, look, it's one thing for the Bucks to spend almost every single practice in their indoor facility with 90 players and you know, 100 coaches and all that, there's no way you can get two football teams in there, not 180 players. So if something screws up today where they can't work out together in the, you know, outside, then those two teams won't be practicing together. They'll be, they'll be practicing in shifts um, inside that indoor facility. So it could get really screwy if uh, the forecast goes sideways. But, yeah, it was really uncomfortable um, as far as that goes. All right, so – We've got mailbag questions, a lot of things on the Bucks. obviously, the Rays, uh, some college football. Let's get started. All right, Buck North asks, too many head coaches try to mask what they say for fear of tipping their hand to their competition. Bruce Arians doesn't seem to care what he says or who he signals out. Accountability and competition should allow the best players to play. Which position group does this benefit the most? Well, I think I, I guess I could narrow it down, but I think all the players benefit from, you know, sort of his directness and – What's unusual is to hear a coach call out, you know, players in the media. I mean, a lot of guys try to avoid that at all costs. Bruce will generally say it to the players first and then repeat it. Sometimes he'll challenge players through the media. I mean, he's not above doing that, uh, sort of calculating, uh, you know, how they'll react. Like the other day, you know, he said that, uh, that you know, Sean Murphy Bunting just really didn't – he was just kind of there, right, in the preseason game. He didn't make any plays. This is a guy they drafted in the second round, you know, out of Central Michigan, and he's kind of competing for that slot corner position with MJ Stewart. And it wasn't that he was, you know, lost. It wasn't like he was, you know, completely didn't belong on the football field. He just simply didn't make plays that were probably there to be made. And so after the game, very harshly, Arians told us that he said this to Bunting. He says, I went up to him after the game and I said, did you play? <laughs> wow. I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I want to hear that from my head coach game one. Uh, and so, and so, uh, and he didn't, and he goes, I wasn't trying to say that he played poorly. It was just like, you didn't do anything. You know, you were out there. Now you've got to make plays. We expect you to, you know, to, 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 to be aggressive and, and come up and make some plays. So that reminds me of the old, you know, John McKay line when, you know, after his team, team played one of their horrific games you know during the 0-26 stretch um he came in apparently and said okay uh, those of you who need showers take one <laughs> so so um so yeah it was kind of like that but uh but which which group would benefit the most look i mean i think the ones you challenge are younger players you know in general i mean guys don't get to play you know 10, 11, 12 years in the league without knowing, you know, sort of what they're supposed to do. And, you know, the, the, there are some young players on this football team, and especially on defense, and especially in the secondary. I think I think that's a group that's uh, going to continually be challenged by Bruce Arians. We know he's the quarterback whisperer. We, we know that, that, you know, no one would benefit more from Bruce Arians' style, they don't think, than Jameis Winston. So, you know, all those quarterbacks are, are going to, get some of that from Bruce, but, but more so Jameis. But if I was just looking at possession groups, I mean, I really, I really do think that uh, you're going to hear a lot of that sort of thing, uh, especially with the younger players. And most of those guys are in the secondary, whether you're talking about Mike Edwards or, uh, you know, Sean Murphy Bunting or Jamel Dean, you know, some, some of the younger guys. And, and, and I, and I think it's already started down that track. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's unusual, and, uh, and and some players might might be irritated by it because it's it's certainly not something that a lot of coaches do. But like I said, he says the same thing to them before he comes out and says it to the media. So I I think I think that's just the way Bruce goes about it. 
All right, Ellis asks, should Bucks fans be worried about the depth on both sides of the ball, or am I just overanalyzing the first preseason game? Well, you may be overanalyzing the first preseason game because that's that's what we do. I mean, it's, it's preseason is ridiculous, right? And remember, uh, and and people have said this before, preseason is also a liar, and that's both ways. You know, if you see a team come out and do really really well, and you go, ah, that there now that's the team you should watch out for. Typically, it doesn't matter. I mean, look, you can go back and see Super Bowl teams that didn't win a game in preseason. And conversely, you can find you know four and five and O teams in the preseason that might have won only three games all year. So it's really not indicative necessarily of how the season is going to go. Now that said, yeah, I think Bucks fans uh, you know should be worried a little bit about uh, the depth on both sides of the football. And you know let let's just take let's take the offensive side. You know, their offensive line is constituted right now, looks okay. I mean, we still don't know how Alex Kappa is going to play at right guard when, when the you know, the real season begins. He's done a nice job to this point. But at tackle, you know, Donovan Smith is someone who rarely misses a snap. He has not missed a game in his entire career. So that durability is counted upon. And then DeMar Dotson is in like his 11th or 12th year, We've seen him miss some time, and, you know, I've watched him with those knees, both of which have had multiple surgeries on them, and it's very difficult for him at this stage to, you know, to even get ready to put the leg braces on and go out and practice. So I would say that, look, they don't have really any kind of quality or comparable offensive tackles behind these guys because they simply couldn't address it in the draft, and they didn't address it in the draft in any case. So – you know, that, that certainly is a place that needs more depth. And I, I really do believe that you're going to see some waiver claims or a trade or something the, the week leading up to the season opener. It'll go that long. Bruce Arians has added players, you know, right up until the start of the regular season on other teams in that final week. And I think he'll do that with the Bucks. And I think, in fact, I, I would be surprised if some of those additions or at least one isn't on, on the offensive line. And – and then, you know, um, defensively, I mean, when you lose Vita Vea, and, you, yeah, you have Ndamukong Su, and you got Bo Allen, um, you know, and, and you got Terry Beckner Jr., some of these guys that are young, but they're, they're really beat up on the defensive line. I mean, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul is not going to play anytime soon. Um, Shaq Barrett now has uh, turned, turned his ankle. He's unable to practice, and he was the free agent. You know, they got from Denver that they expect to come off the edge a little bit. So, you know, I think that they're, they're thin on the defensive line. You, you've got, you know, some linebackers nicked up as well right now, you know, with Levante David out. And then at safety, they're decimated. I mean, you know, I would be worried right now as the way they're constituted at, at safety because they, they were down to like three or four safeties in that game the other night. You know, they keep getting injured. Now they keep adding bodies and, you know, We'll see if these guys can catch up and, and begin to make plays. But, uh, you know, with Mike Edwards out now for another six or seven days, that means that maybe he doesn't play in the third preseason game. And if he misses that, he's not going to play in the fourth. So his preseason could be over. So, you know, they, they've worked out Marcus Gilchrist, who was a guy that played for the Oakland Raiders, started all 16 games last year at safety. He's a veteran, a veteran safety. He played two seasons with – Todd Bowles with the New York Jets, that, that's a guy they could sign. They, they wanted to take a look at him in the event that uh, some of their guys don't get back. Justin Evans we still haven't seen on the field. So safety is a real problem. There are holes on this football team, folks. Do not think for a second that they don't need to continue to fortify and build um, on both sides, but particularly uh, on defense. I mean, there's plenty of offensive weapons, plenty of skilled players. You do need linemen. You need backup you need some veterans, and if they can get it through trades, if they can get it off waivers, um, I expect that's what they'll do. Scott asks, having, I'm having a hard time pumping the brakes on Matt Gay. How good could this kid be? Well, I mean, he's a kicker. So, you know, uh, I'll say this about what I've witnessed, and that is that, you know, there, there's a lot of talented people, specialists in the National Football League, whether you're talking about punters or kickers, 
you know, it's it's one of those things that nobody knows anything about unless you do it, right? They can't be coached. They have their own coaches, that sort of thing. All you know is that you're looking for someone to knock it through the uprights. Matt Gay can not only knock it through the uprights, but he can do it damn near on the logo and then some, right? So uh, we've seen him pump through some 63-yarders. Now a lot of those or most of those were inside, but we've seen him go 60-plus yards outdoors as well. And when the ball, you know, is struck by his foot, it just sounds different. I mean, it literally makes a thump noise that, you know, you don't hear very often from other kickers. So he has he has rare power, right? He has an ability to get the ball up high, get it up quick. Um, I don't think he's going to have many kicks blocked. So, you know, his long-distance kicks do not suffer from, you know, from the range. They, they, they occasionally might drift left or right. So... I mean, I think the guy is is a real talent. What we what, but you know, like any position, specialist position in the NFL, until you do it, you haven't done it. In other words, you know, Matt Gay didn't have any like last second field goals. Didn't need to take any at Utah. You just won't find you know the the big clutch kicks at the end of the game. There's some at the end of the half in his career, and. You know, Cairo Santos has done a remarkable job. He's got lots of experience. He's healthy now. I think he's going to kick in this league somewhere. But there's no way in my mind that Matt Gay is not going to be their kicker simply because they have a fifth-round pick invested in him. And unless he just starts spraying it around and can't make anything these next, you know, three preseason games, it just makes sense, right? It just makes sense that you're going to take the guy that you think has helped you solve the kicking situation for potentially 10 years to come, certainly uh, four years anyway. And that's that's what I anticipate them doing. The problem is when Bruce Arians goes to bed at night and he starts doing a mental inventory of where his team is at against San Francisco, and he goes, okay, wide receiver, uh, Mike Evans, oh, we're good there, Chris Godwin, excellent. you know, And he starts running down the units, of course, on his football team at some point. He's going to get to the specialist, and he's going to go, Matt Gay, ah, really talented guy. Love his leg. Man, he can launch it from all over the field. I have no idea what he's going to do when it counts. <laughs> I mean, he just there's no way. You know, you can stick a bunch of players behind there, threaten to run them all, uh, yell boogity, boogity, boogity as he's trying to kick in practice. But practice is practice. What are we talking about, Alan Iverson? We're talking about practice, not the game, not the game I love. So – Put it all on the line, week one at, against San Francisco, you know, seconds to go. Jameis drives them down. They get to, you know, the 35 or so yard line. They're going to attempt a 43-yarder to win the game. And does anybody know what Matt Gay is going to do? I don't even think Matt Gay knows what Matt Gay will do. So, yeah, he's a talent, and he can be as good as anybody that's ever played because – I've watched this guy kick the ball further than anyone's ever kicked it, so there's there's no reason to think he can't be one of the one of the better kickers uh, in in the NFL. But we know how fleeting confidence can be, particularly at a specialist position. Look, they signed Ka- Ka- uh, Chandler Catanzaro to an enormous contract what a year ago, and uh, and and you know the the guy retired. I mean, he gave up football because he's lost his edge. You know, he was back with the New York Jets. He missed a couple extra points in the preseason, the first preseason game, and he quit, okay? Roberto Aguayo, not kicking any place. Second-round pick, all-time, you know, most accurate field goal kicker in NCAA history. So, you know, it's uh, it's very fleeting and very hard to predict for sure. But, you know, Matt Gay, from a talent standpoint, is as talented as anybody I think the Bucks have had in here. Brett asked, how many wins do the Bucks need for Jameis Winston to be brought back? If the Bucks win three games, would they draft a quarterback? Well, yeah, if they win three games, they absolutely will draft a quarterback. And that's simply because the value of that position, right, uh, is in, in those early draft picks. And so, uh, you know, I've, I've heard as many as, you know, two, maybe three quarterbacks could go in the top five or the top ten next year. Now you're looking in at so much, Tua, you're looking at Fromm from Georgia and Herbert that's from correct. Oregon. Right, so there's the three. Now, if they go in the top five or they even go one, two, three, certainly I think they could go one and two. Three and 13 will probably get you one of those top two picks. And at that point, you have to take the quarterback. It doesn't even matter, um, 
necessarily where how Jameis has played. Although if you're three and thirteen, I'm going to suspect he didn't play great. But let's just say he played good and, and and he played well. And you know the defense was horrible, and you got some bad bounces. But somehow you're three and thirteen nonetheless. It would be malpractice not to continue to continue to fortify that position at quarterback. Look, the New England Patriots didn't stop trying to get some good backups for Tom Brady. Right? Jimmy Garoppolo was there. They didn't say, hey, give me a quarterback that stinks to put behind our starter. You know, they, they have constantly looked for guys uh, who at some point when Tom Brady says he's had enough and Bob Krafts agree, agrees with him and lets him retire, they'll have to have somebody ready to go. So, you know, 3-13, and 13, are you asking me if they're going to draft a quarterback? Heck yeah. And I don't know if that means Jameis plays one more season or not. I tend to think he will do better than that and that the Bucks will do better than that. We don't know all the circumstances in terms of injuries and, and you know, when they play teams and things like that. Um, but I, I expect Jameis to play pretty well. But 3-13, and 13, yeah, you're taking a quarterback. And, you know, for $25 million, you might choose somebody else rather than Jameis Winston to sort of be his mentor. All right, Carl asks, if you could bring back one buck running back in our history and put him in this year's team, who would you have? Would you take Allstott, Bell, Wilder? Dunn, Rhett, Lars Tate, who you got? Mm. Mm. Wow. Well, the game has changed so much, you know. Um, obviously, you, you'd love to have, you know, sort of the, the, you know, the pounded up inside guy, uh, the attitude guy, the, the, the tone setter in Mike Allstott, you know, who can forget. You know, I remember one run he had against Cleveland, and it was, it was still to this day – one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. He had this one run against the Browns at home where he broke nine tackles, and I'm not exaggerating. And he ran, you know, the run itself was probably about 30 yards or so, uh, maybe 35 at, at, on the upside. But, you know, as he's breaking these tackles, you know, people are going crazy. And they showed the replay uh, on the big screen at Raymond James. And each time, spontaneously, each time as Allstott was running on this replay that he would hit, a Cleveland Brown and knock him backwards or break a tackle, people started counting. It was so cool. It was like one, two, three, and they got all the way to the nine. It was, and then they lost their mind. So, um, you know, loved what Allstott did in terms of setting the tone. He was also a fairly good receiver. But in today's football, you don't have a use for a fullback. And I know that he was a one-back many times and, you know, maybe a tailback and, and fullback by title only. Um, but, but I, you know, the game is about speed. It's about spreading people out. And I don't see Mike as effective in today's football as, as he was even when he played, you know, not that many years ago. Um, as far as Eric Retino, um, didn't, didn't have enough, uh, explosive explosiveness to really, you know, break off some long runs. James Wilder could play at any era. I mean, the thing about James Wilder was, is that he was a, he was a bell cow back. He was you know, sort of relentless and, you know, just had tremendous endurance, but also a really good receiver. And I think in today's NFL, you know, we see the receivers running so many routes and getting split out and things like that. Um, he would have been excellent. The guy I would take just personally, simply because I, I just, you know, I thought not, not even so much as when he played in Tampa, but when he went to Atlanta and he, and he sort of was the lead running back, is work done. You know, to me, you know, having a guy that's quick like that and explosive um, who, who can also be a good receiver out of the backfield and, uh, you know, and in everything he brings to your football team from a community standpoint and all of that, he's a 10. Uh, I really liked Warwick Dunn. Warwick Dunn was, was, a, uh, was an energy guy, right? He, he was a guy that didn't take a lot of big hits, seemed to always produce yards for you when you put the ball in his hands. So I think Bruce Arians, you, you know, you look at what he's done with some of the running backs he's had in Arizona. Um, he could certainly make use of a guy like Warwick Dunn, splitting him out, doing various things with him. So of the Bucks running backs, for me, I think it would be Warwick Dunn. CB asks, with the Bucks lease at Raymond James Stadium expiring in 2028, the same time as the Rays, why is no one discussing the possibility of the Bucks leaving like we do the baseball team? Will they need a new stadium? Well, they're not discussing it because no one wants to, to even begin to think about the, the Bucks leaving Tampa. Um, although, I don't know why people aren't talking about it because that isn't that long away. And 
if you look now sort of at the shelf life of some of these NFL stadiums, I mean, look, the Georgia Dome, that's the, you know, that was their second stadium. They, they left, of course, you know, Fulton County Stadium, which they, um, you know, shared with the, with the Atlanta Braves for a time being. They built the Georgia Dome, and within 20 years, it was obsolete. It was being, it was part Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Part of a wrecking ball, you know, and so now they get the Mercedes-Benz Dome. You know, hey, Raymond James Stadium opened up in 1998. Their first game was played there in 1998. So... Here we are, you know, 20 years later. I mean, if they're going to start tearing down buildings that are 20 years old in the NFL, you better believe people should start talking about a new stadium for the Bucks. I mean, I don't think there's any question. And you know what else? I think that the Hillsborough County and the, the politicos and even the community would fight harder to keep their NFL team than they would for Major League Baseball. I don't think there's any question about that. Would that get it done? I can't really say. Um, you know, expand you know the team's real relocating is and will continue to happen we watched it you know with the rams having left los angeles going to san st louis then back to los angeles the raiders are going to las vegas you know there is now franchise movement within the nfl um you know so from that standpoint i don't know why people aren't talking about it uh, i think the building is still a good building they've put I guess if there's a silver lining, you'd say they've, they've invested about $150 million of their own money to upgrade Sky Suites and things like that. But, you know, what if, what if the Glazers or the Bucks said, you know what we really need? We need a stadium where our fans can come and not roast. Like, we would get much better gates if we had something like U.S. Bank Stadium in Minnesota where, you know, it's it's – it's sort of a dome, but it's it's completely glassed in. You feel like you're outside, and you know we're gonna go. There's so much natural light cascading through there that we really we really believe that our fans would come out and support us more if that were the case. What are you gonna do? You know, I mean, it's it's coming. I mean, that's that's the way pro sports is done these days, right? And and like I said, look at the other buildings across the NFL. You'll find. For example, the Georgia Dome and others uh, that were torn down just after 20 years. So we're talking, this is 2019, we're talking nine more seasons that that stadium will be uh, played in. So by that time, yes, I think they I think they will. And, um, you know, we should probably expect them to ask for a new stadium. Well, and don't forget, too, with the, the Rays part of it, baseball is the ones driving this. I mean, Stu Sternberg wants right. a new stadium, but baseball's sure. made it – clear that they want to expand but before they expand they need to figure out the stadium solutions in oakland and tampa that so they want to they want to get answers to those questions so that they can then put out bidding to expand to get up to 32 teams which is ultimately what they want to do so it's baseball pushing that they want to know what the answer is to Mm -hmm. what's going to happen in tampa as the lease expires at the end of 2027 and then oakland i don't know that whole lease situation but i you know know the stadium's not adequate enough and they're looking for you know new possibilities there, mm-hmm. so it's baseball driving the conversation, not necessarily the Rays. Although I mean, Stu would like a new stadium, but baseball wants answers. Yeah, and to be clear, I've not heard or nor have I talked to anybody at One Buck Place that said, "Hey, we really need a new ballpark." The, uh, if that conversation is happening, it's you know way above my pay grade, and I've not even I've not even picked up the vibe. Um, quite the opposite, they have enhanced this building, so you know. Does that mean that their minds won't change in a couple of weeks? It certainly could. 
But I, I think they like their stadium overall. All right, we'll go on to baseball now. And Bob asks, Tom Jones said the Rays were a 500 team. As of Monday, they're 19 games over that. Can we assume he knows nothing about baseball? You can assume he knows absolutely nothing about baseball um, because he missed so wildly. However, you'd have to make the same assumption about me because a year ago I said this team would lose 100 and they won 90. So I clearly know nothing about baseball. Look, you got to give the Rays just a ton of credit um, for what they've managed to do. And, you know, being outspent the way they are in the American League East, we know about the payroll, we know about the, you know, almost non existent attendance and all of that stuff. But it's funny because, you know, out of necessity, you know, the, the mother of inventions, right? And the Rays' edge is, you know, sort of their ability to, you know, find players whether they're you know guys that other organizations have given up on, but guys they can control and and develop players uh, that can play multiple positions and all the all the things they have brought to baseball, uh, I mean, you know, it's genius. And so you you can't. It looked like they were tanking, right? I mean, that was the word everybody used two years ago, and they won ninety games. And they have rebuilt this this franchise through some really. You know, clever trades. I mean, we we talked about the Chris Archer deal. You know, getting Austin Meadows and Glass now, and, and and all of that. So everybody's going to be a little off on these guys. I mean, even when it looked like a few weeks ago they were on the verge of collapse. I mean, I think they were about ten or eleven games above five hundred, and having come down quite a bit since then. And then you know they go on this this terrific run, and here they are, a season high. 19 games above 500, so they're already headed to a 90 win, a 90 plus win season if they were able to, to maintain um, sort of a, of a decent pace here. And you know, as much as I like to rap on Tom, and I do think he tends to skew a little bit negative. I, that's just been my experience over the years. Um, I I do understand also sort of what he's looking at. You know, I mean, it's it's a lot of us have missed on the race. And like I said, they deserve a lot of credit. So uh, I know I know that the the statement was kind of tongue in cheek, you know, um, but it, it's a difficult team to predict. And I I think they'll finish obviously above 500 at this point. Now, you know, they hope to get Blake Snell back and maybe even you know maybe even see Tyler Glass now, um, you know, in in the playoffs or someplace if they were to get there. I mean I don't know. They'll get some players back, but. What they've done so far has been remarkable, and I don't think they're going to be a 500 team. I think they're going to be better than that. How much better? It's There's still a lot of baseball left. I think there's something like, what, over 40, 50 games left, something like that. So, so uh, they played 119 go. going into this podcast. After the tonight, it'll be 120. So, fi- so that gives them 42 left. 42. Okay. Well, that's 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 not as ma- that's not as many as I thought, but that's still a lot of a lot of baseball, right? What if you went on a what if you had a bad month, right? And you mm-hmm. went, you know, uh, I don't know, nine and, you know, nine and, and 18, you know, or something like that. So, I mean, you know, it can change and it change fast. I don't see that happening. Well, to get to 500 at this point, if to finish the season at 500, that means they would finish 12 and 31. Okay. Well, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> so, I, I mean, think. that's what it would take from here to finish 500. Yeah, so they're going to be they're going to be well well over five hundred. One would one would would suspect. All right, but the question is, and I don't think ninety is going to get you in the playoffs at this year, just like it didn't no. last year in the AL. No. So it's you know, can you get to ninety five, ninety six wins? Yeah. You know, I, you might I mean, get in at ninety two or three, but I, I think it's going to take ninety four to or more. Yeah, and there's no guarantee that that's a hell of a season. I mean, many many seasons, including this one, you would win most divisions with that record. Um, you know, it's, again, it's just the Yankees are running away with the darn thing so much. Boston has faded, so it's really kind of them and the Yankees. But, um, you know, shoot, I mean, again, I, you know, if we just when you, with all the guys they have on the IL and they have a ton, and you're 19 games over 500, you know, sitting here on March or, or I'm sorry, on August 12th. You know, sign me up, man. Well, with, especially with, you know, their hitting, you know, has gone cold at times, and their pitchers are pretty much all hurt except for Charlie Morton. All of them, yeah. 
You know, Yarbrough's, they, you know, figured it out now, and so he's become a, a really good starter for them as well. But, you mm-hmm. know, when you've got Glass now and Chirinos and, and Snell all on the disabled list, and you're still winning yeah. games. By the way, since you brought up Yarbrough, just real quick before we move on, excellent column in the Tampa Bay Times by John Romano. We, we touched on this the other night when, you know, Kevin Cash, after eight and two-thirds of shutout innings, went to the mound and, and took the ball from Ryan Yarbrough, you know, just – one pitcher and certainly one out away from the first complete game since 2016 for the Rays. And, you know, and he dominated the game. They were ahead one to nothing. So even if he gives up a home run, you know, the worst that happens is, you you know, you're tied at that point one to one. And Cash, you know, played it by his book, made the change. Milo Pagan, you know, gets a smash out at second base and the Rays win after two more pitches. But I, I liked what Romano, he, he expressed it better than I can, uh, and I won't quote his story, but it essentially was, look, you know, you're telling these guys all the time, hey, no one game really matters that much, right? We're managing for the long haul. Um, there's a lot of baseball games. You know, we're not going to over overemphasize or overanalyze, you know, losses or wins, right? It's just mm-hmm. sort of we're, we're devoted to the process, right? We're going to do this. We're going to, we're committing to the opener. We're committing to shifts. We're committing to, and we're doing that over the long, sort of the long haul, right? So, so why then, you know, do you go out to the mound after a guy, everybody in the building and everybody watching at home knows he deserves, in their minds anyway, a chance to, to try to finish that game, um, and you take the ball from him? And what is the effect of that? And, you know, I know that Kevin Cash supposedly met with uh, Yarborough uh, the next day, and and you know, and, and Ryan said, "Hey, look, I I don't have any problem with it. I would have liked to stay in, whatever." But but there is a problem, and the problem is the signal you send to the rest of those guys in there that you know I don't have your back. You know, like it w- it would have been important for whatever. It just would have been important if. He had been allowed to finish that complete game shutout, and we're talking about one out. We're not but, talking about man on first. And I get, I get the, the, you know, they've done this all year, and they're 19 games over 500, and all of that. But I still think these are games played by human beings, and there are emotional beings, and they're they're not guys that are are simply you know going to hand the ball to you and and say, hey, I I understand why you're pulling me with eight and two thirds innings. Um, I only needed one more pitch. To comp- pitch a complete game, it, it it just you know there there was one of the pitchers I think tweeted out something that he you know that he couldn't believe that that Cash had done that. It was on Jake Faria, Jake Faria, who Jake, was a former Faria, former Ray, was former Ray to the Indians, yeah. yeah. And and that's sort of the mindset. Like if he's able to say it because he's with another ball club, but that's going around that clubhouse, right? And and so you know Kevin Cash has to be accountable to those guys and I know again they had a clear the air meeting and all that stuff and Yarbrough says I'm fine and all that they're not fine you know Charlie Morton wasn't fine um you know th- there comes a point where you know you have to you're asking these guys to sacrifice everything and then it, then they feel like you don't you don't you know protect them you don't have their backs you know well, let me make um, a counter argument to that and sure Mark Topkin at the same time as Romano wrote his column writing his race tales, how the Rays are in the playoff chase now is, you know, 90 wins is not going to get you in the playoffs this year. They've got to get to 94, 95, 96 wins. So even though it's August, every game right now matters. Mm -hmm. And as long as they keep winning, I don't buy that you've absolutely lost Morton and Yarborough. And, and, you know, a lot lot of times you, you make those calls. And if, if you make the, if it works out, Everything's fine. And if it doesn't, then maybe it goes sour. But as he's made these calls, it's worked. Well, it has been winning games. Well, uh, I mean, the the longer longer range of it, it's, you know, it's worked. They're 19 games over 500. So that's evidence that whatever they've done has worked. However, you know, he took Charlie Morton out of a game. The guy gave up the lead. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and there and there didn't seem to be a, a very good reason in terms of his pitch count and everything else. So it, right. it doesn't always work when he makes it. Did. A no, they ended up winning that game. So at the end of the day, right, it was another win. And, and what sure. I'm saying is, but and, they and, may they may have won that game though, even if even if you know, God forbid, the guy gives up a home run and sure. it's one to one. The game's not over. Sure, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? I, I would but, have left Yarborough in, but from a Ray standpoint, Kevin Cash is managing that. 
Every game matters. And, and a winnable game in Seattle to a, a, a team that's well below 500, that you have the lead in the ninth, I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. Now, like I said, I would have left Yarborough in. I understand what the Rays did, why they did it. And it's the way they, that's their modus operandi. That's how they operate. I mean, that's what they've done for years now. You can look at it that way, you know, and you can say that every game matters, right? But they take guys out of games because of pitch counts when, mm-hmm. you know, they're saying, look, it's just one game. You know, they, can't, well, they kind of play both sides of the fence. They go, hey, Charlie Morton, we're taking you out because it is hot. It is July. We need you in August and September. This is just one game. Well, look, but the score, maybe the we could have left you in. Too. I mean, if the Rays were up two or three nothing, Yarbrough stays in. Probably the fact the offense but, only got one home run, and that was yeah. all they could muster that day, that hurt them. Up had they them. had another run or two, Yarbrough stays in. I mean, I know, you know I know it, why he did it. I mm-hmm. get, I get why he did it, and 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 it did work out, and they did win the game. And yes, that those sort of things he's been doing all year, but I still believe that that this is you know, <laughs> this is a team. And even though the Rays do things their own way and they believe in the matchups, look, even he didn't even really have the matchups behind him when he did it. Because, quite frankly, as, as Romano pointed out, you know, Emilio Pagan is twice as likely to give up a home run mm-hmm. than Ryan Yarbrough. Twice as likely. Not to mention how Yarbrough had already dominated that ball club that, on that particular day. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't even as if like you like the matchup better, but what's the one thing that you, you're trying to avoid? The long ball. So you put in a guy that's imminently more capable of giving up a home run than Yarborough was. And that's why I would have stayed with Yarborough. Yeah, is, you've already is, said that. You know, but, well, but it was the home run threat that Pagan has been susceptible right. to of late. That's, that's what has. I didn't like. Right, and the guy smashed one, and fortunately for them it was at another player, and they got out of the inning in two pitches, but – don't you? I mean, don't you think that in that clubhouse, even record aside, nineteen games over hundred aside, whatever, that those guys are going, Kevin Cash is—he's the robot. He doesn't have our backs. He's just by the, you know, the front office. This is the tail wags the dog. The front office determines what matchups we're going to play. They're the ones making these moves, and he don't have our backs at all. But do you think they just figured that out now? No, <laughs> no, but it doesn't help to be reminded of. It. I mean, eight and two thirds, man. You already said you wouldn't do it. I wouldn't have done it. But I mean, eight and two thirds. Come on. I mean, let the guy finish the game. And again, it's you know you don't get it. And the merit badges don't matter. I got a complete game. I got a complete game. Um, you know the wins do, and and Cash understands that. But he's had to buy into it, and now you're asking all your players to buy into it. But once in a while, right? Once in a while. Have your guys back and say, you know what, damn it, you deserve to stay in there and try to close this out. The pitch count's not bad. Um, we're going to give you one more hitter. Obviously, if a guy gets on, we're taking you out. Just just if blame the up- nine hitters. That's why. Yeah, It wasn't exactly. Kevin Cash. Well, it was the nine hitters who couldn't get more than a run. Well, perhaps. <laughs> but you know what? You know There are days, and we've said this, there are days when if you score one, you got to hold them to zero. Absolutely. Right? I yes. Mean, yes. You know, it's just the way it is. You've got to find a way to win that day. And, um, you know, so I don't know. It's I got off on a tangent here, but I I like the column. Go back and mm-hmm. read it. And you you're probably you may agree with Steve. And, and, and I again, I see both sides. I really like the way Romano framed the argument, mm-hmm. though, that, um, you know, that he may have while he won the game, he may have lost something else. Personally, Kevin Cash may have. We'll see. Time will tell. Mm-hmm. So Sam asks right now, the Rays are on pace for 94 wins. If they finish with 95 to 100 wins, would the front office make additional moves in the offseason to continue to improve their chances against teams like Houston and New York? Talking about free agents like Marcelo Zuna from the Cardinals or Garrett Cole or Dellen Betances. Those kind of additions. Would they make them? I I mean, I think they would. Steve, we talked about this a little before the podcast. Um, You know, they won 90 games last year, and they went out and spent $15 million on Charlie Morton. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that's a hell of an addition. And, you know, we've seen them add to this ball club through trades, through free agency. I think they would. I mean, I think they would realize that, you know, first of all, if you win 94-95, that means you went to the playoffs probably. Who knows how far you advance? But you're probably still not as talented as the Yankees or maybe Houston. So, yeah, I I think you got a number of prospects down there you can potentially deal, certainly free agency. 
Um, again, they have the same age-old problem, which is no one's coming to the games. It's a small market team in terms of, in terms of revenue. So how much can you afford you know, uh, to compete with teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Astros for free agents? Where do guys want to play? You know, What's the atmosphere they want to play in? So all of that probably doesn't help the race, but I absolutely th- – I mean, don't you think they would continue to make this ball club better? I think they look for any ways to make it better. Now, you know, yeah. free agency, it takes two to tango. That's correct. You know, and they tried to get Ke- Craig Kimbrell. He decided to go to the Cubs. Correct. Um, you know, so it, it does take two. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I, look, I think they showed you with the Charlie Morton signing that they're willing to go pay for free agents. Now, Charlie Morton's a little further advanced in his career. He wasn't looking for a six- or seven- or eight-year deal. Right, you know, they signed him to a two-year deal with a third-year option, which is Mm -hmm. you know right in the Rays' wheelhouse of you know you're not committed too long, but you know you get that free agent, he gets some guaranteed money, so you know that works out. Some of those other free agents may be looking for longer-term deals. You know, it's hard to tell, and and there'll be demand for those guys because those are all really good free agents at the end of this year. So, but yeah, I think absolutely the Rays are looking to add. I mean, like I said, they tried to get Kimbrel, they signed Morton this year. They look at any way they can make this team better. Now, they have some budget constraints, so it's not a free-for-all spending-wise, but if they can make the team better, and and look, I mean, they've shown that there's nobody off limits to trade or get rid of if they feel it makes the team better. Yeah, and their club is a young nucleus that they have control over from Mm -hmm. a a financial contract standpoint, so they have room to add some players, and and to your point, they have done that, so... Yeah, it's a great, great question. Go Snarf asks, is it possible the Rays could bring back Ben Zobris for leadership with this young team next year? I suppose it's possible. I mean, look, Ben Zobris has been on two World Series teams, you know. So, um, you know, I know he, he's had the, some personal issues. Yeah, I think with, it depends uh, the, on kind of how he comes back this year from, you yeah, know, he's at their minor league team now with the Cubs. That's right. So what's his mind, what's his frame of mind, you know, um, is there a place in Chicago for him after this year? Probably not. How much is left? So, yeah, this last if – he, if he's able to play the last month of the season, you know, how he plays uh, might be a factor with that. And how much money but, he wants would be a factor whether the race sure. will bring him back too. So Absolutely. And the, the other – you know, I mean, look, don't forget this. I think we did – I think we did a fan poll one time on with the Tampa Bay Times at some point, and – if I'm not mistaken, we talked about the most beloved race player. Mark Topkins said it was Zobrist. It's Ben Zobrist. How about that? Yeah. And so, of all the players, you know, Evan Longoria and Carl Crawford, and you know, you can go on and on. David Price and James Shields. No, Ben Zobrist is the most beloved. So, how would you not welcome him back if you felt he could still help you? Which you know that that would be the first question. All right, we had some college football questions, and John asked, "How much jeopardy is Willie Taggart's job at FSU if he repeats with a losing season this year?" Certainly possible is they're not that much different on paper than they were in 2018. Right. Well, look, look, Willie admitted that he made a lot, he made some mistakes, and I think they've tried to correct those, you know, through recruiting. And um, a couple things about a few layers to this question. One is, uh, you know, you're assuming he has a losing season. So that, that, that's, that would make it very difficult for Willie and, and, you know, for the administration um, just in general. But, um, you know, I, I still believe, and I go back to when he was at USF, there was a time when it was a really dark, dreary place. And they had had two, I think, two losing seasons. And I believe they had, you know, were like, I don't know, three and four at one point. And then Quentin Flowers took over at quarterback. And they didn't look back, you know, for two, three years. That got him the job at Oregon. And then now on to Florida State. I I think that at some point they're going to find a way to turn the corner. Maybe it's not this year. Do they have a losing season? I, I don't know that they're that bad. The schedule's really tough, that's for sure. Um, but you know, there's a, there, there's the financial buyout, and it's enormous. And we know that the Seminoles athletic department doesn't have much money, and and that's been you know stated in the minutes of meetings that they've had in the past. So. You know, you can't just hit rock bottom and expect the guy to come back because that's part of the financials. If no one believes in the head coach or the direction of the program, guess what? They don't go to the games. If they don't go to the games, then you're not getting the revenue. So all of that sort of ties into it. Um, so if he, if he runs them into the rocks, yeah, anything's possible. But but I I tend to think just in my, you know, in my gut that, that Willie's going to find a way out of this. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't have a great winning record and they don't win eight or nine games this year, you know, but but maybe they go 500 or thereabouts. And 
Um, I think that gives him another year. But well, remember, I, remember as Matt Baker reported too, the buyout up there. It's and the, the financial situation they have, and that's bad. Yeah, so they can't really afford right. it. So, you know, I so between that and the fact that I think Willie's going to do better this mm-hmm. year. Uh, and they have they have added players. You can't say they haven't. They, well, they got some got... good news on Monday too. That uh, Jordan Travis, the quarterback transfer from Louisville, got a hardship waiver. He's eligible immediately, wow. which gives him three wow. quarterbacks on the roster now that could play. James Blackman, yeah. presumably the starter. Alex Hornibrook, the transfer from Wisconsin, is battling for the probably the number two spot with Jordan Travis. So, a quarterback That's which a has a... been you know, a weak spot for them, and you were going who was going to play quarterback. Now they've got three of them on the roster. That's a that's a strength. They've turned it into a strength, and we know that position on every football team is is the most critical. So yeah, I I, I just I've seen Willie do this, and and I, I think he's going to get them there. But they they don't have a lot of money, and, and the buyout is enormous. So for that reason, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. Um, he he won't get fired. He will be back next season. All right, Brett asks, do the Florida Gators have enough defensive backs on the roster to even play against Miami? You know, this is an interesting question because when I first read it, I thought they meant the Bucks defensive backs, and and that and they and the answer is no, they don't have enough to play against Miami. Um, they're they're down about five safeties at this point, but uh, it seems like every day I read about another Gator player being suspended. So how many of those guys play in in you know in the secondary? They've had quite a few, and and John Huggins kicked off the team now. Um, after you know he's kind of had a checkered past, and then reportedly an incident of possibly choking a teacher or tutor uh, that wasn't reported um so he's now been Mm. kicked off the team he had been missing the practice time for a family issue they said but now he's off the team so they've had some transfers in that so they've had some attrition there particularly in the defensive backfield for florida well watch out for miami because i don't think they're just going to roll over for florida just because they're florida all right we'll wrap up on this and less ask are there any chances we don't see an alabama clemson national championship game again this year Seems like the rest of the country is fighting for the other two spots in the playoff. There's a really good likelihood. I, this is the old Tiger of the field. I'll take Tiger. I'll take Alabama Clemson. You guys can have the rest. I mean, they, they're far and away the best programs. The The one fly in the ointment is Georgia. Absolutely. You know, Georgia has had Alabama's number. Keith Smart is built essentially, you know, Alabama, um, you know, Georgia division. And, you know, except for a questionable decision to, you know, on a punt, fake punt, that sort of thing he's had over the last couple of years, they, they had Alabama. And, you know, Jake Fromm is a terrific quarterback. So I would say there are three teams that can win the national championship, and I will leave it at that. Uh, I, I don't – I'm sorry I don't trust your, your go blue, you know, Michigan team, even though Herb is no longer at Ohio State. But I'm going to say – your national champions going to be either Georgia, is it either going to be Georgia, Alabama, uh, or Clemson, and Clemson is probably the most loaded. You don't think Oklahoma with Jalen Hurts as quarterback maybe a step back I from like, Kyler Murray, no, but their, de- their defense is going to be much better with a lot of starters returning. And, let's see what they do. Let's yeah. see what I hear that every year about Oklahoma, and every year some team puts sixty on them. Well, um, I, I, look, their offense isn't going to be as dynamic with Jalen Hurts compared to Kyler Murray no, or Baker Mayfield no. before that. But I believe their defense right. is better than it's been the past couple of years. But, now, but how they, wh- good would they have to be? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying to 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 take down. Maybe they get in a national championship game if they knock. I mean, they're going to knock off Clemson. Are they going to knock off Georgia? I don't know. But if they got in a game against Alabama, you don't think Nick Saban would have something for Jalen Hurts? Mm-hmm. It'd be a hell of a it'd be a hell of a story, by the way. What a, what a matchup that would be against uh, Jalen against two Tua? quarterbacks. Oh God, it would be. High drama, man. That would be something. But I still think that Saban, in a one game in a one game situation like that, would just coach the wheels off of off, off of whoever came in there. So, um, I mean, may, look, I'll, I'll give you that. I like Oklahoma. It's going to be a fun team to watch this year. We'll see how much. It just seems like all those teams in that in that conference doesn't don't play defense. So we'll see how much better they are. But I'm going to say Georgia, Clemson. Or Alabama, those one in your in the national titles coming from one of those three teams, I think. All right, so some outstanding questions. You guys don't have to wait for a mailbag to ask us questions. You can do that on Twitter at any time. You can uh, just hit us up on Twitter at SportsDayTB, or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is uh, rstroud at tampabay.com. Of course, uh, a busy day uh, tomorrow. We're going to have Mark Topkin. 
of the Tampa Bay Times that covers the race. He'll be calling in from San Diego where the Rays continue their series there against the Padres. And then, of course, the Bucks have their first of two joint practices against the Miami Dolphins. Ryan Fitzpatrick in town, so we'll have a chance to talk to him a little bit. And then Rodney Barber has his Ring of Honor press conference. He goes into the Bucks Ring of Honor this year, and so that happens at about 1.30. And uh, you can check out all of that information uh, sort of as it's happening on TampaBay.com. We'll talk about all of it, of course, on Sports Day Tampa Bay. Mark Tompkin with us tomorrow. So, folks, remember now, I know you have a choice of air conditioning companies. Call my friends at Millionaire. They've been doing this in the Tampa Bay area for 30 years, and right now, they're currently offering 0% interest on 70, for 72 months on qualifying equipment. So give them a call, 727-862-2100. Trust the masters of comfort, millionaire. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.